The title of the message today is really more than a title. For some of you, it might be your testimony. The title of the message is, I Need a Miracle. Some of you right now are in need of a miracle in your life. Maybe you came today because of that very fact, and you're wondering, does Jesus still do miracles? Does Jesus still do the miraculous? We know that He did in the New Testament, but does He still do that kind of stuff today? Perhaps some of you have come today with a broken marriage and you're in a relationship that just seems to be beyond repair. Can God do a miracle there? Or some of you may have a child that's gone off the rails and you're wondering, can God bring my child back to Him? Or my grandchild, can God bring that person back to the Lord? Maybe you're in a bad job situation or a financial crisis and you're wondering, can he fix this stuff? I mean, is, is God in the details of what I do for a living? Or maybe you have someone in your family that has an issue with a repetitive sin, perhaps an addiction. And the question is, does Jesus still deliver people with problems? Does Jesus still deliver people from their problems? Or perhaps the miracle you need is related to a recent diagnosis and you're left wondering, is Jesus still the great physician? Does He still have the power to heal? I want to remind you of what we said in the very first message of this series, that miracles are those things that can only be described by the phrase, God did it. There is no human explanation. There's no way to explain it other than to say, God did it. And there are times when we need God to do the impossible for us. There are times when we're in a situation and there is no human solution. There is no way, humanly speaking, to bring this about. There are times when we need a miracle. We need God to do the impossible in our lives or in our family. There's a story in the book of Matthew of a lady who needed Jesus to do the impossible in her desperate situation. But it's a story with a twist. Because of the way Jesus responded to her in her time of need. I want you to open God's Word with me to Matthew chapter 15. This really is a story with a twist. Because here was a woman in Matthew chapter 15 who was facing perhaps the scariest ordeal she could ever go through as a mother. And she came to Jesus with an urgent request... And she was met with sharp words that seemed cold-hearted and insulting. Yes, you heard that right. She came to Jesus with an urgent request. Begging, actually. And she was met with what seemed like sharp words that seemed cold-hearted and insulting. In fact, the passage that we're about to read may be the most astonishing thing that Jesus ever said in the New Testament. So if you have your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 15, we're going to be beginning in verse 21. And verse 21 is a verse that gives us two geographical references that are an important part to this story. Now here's how the story begins. Verse 21, Matthew 15. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Leaving that place. That's the first geographical reference that's important to this story. Leaving that place, which leads me to ask the question, what place? What place is he talking about? 
If you go back one chapter to chapter 14, verse 34, you'll find out what that place is. Chapter 14, verse 34, when they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. Now let me show you this on a map. Gennesaret is on the Sea of Galilee. It's, it's just kind of southwest of Capernaum. So Gennesaret was between Capernaum and Magdala. And uh, it's a beautiful area there on the Sea of Galilee. <clears throat> and let's see what happens there in Gennesaret, verse 35. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. And people brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched him were healed. Now I want you to notice that Gennesaret, there is no reluctance at all on the part of Jesus to heal people. In fact, when we look at verse 35 and 36, we'll see the word all used three times. Look at it again, verse 35. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. And people brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched him were healed. In other words, people came from all over and all that came to Jesus needing a miracle got one. No one went home disappointed. They all were healed. And so when, it, when we come to verse 21, it says leaving that place, that's the place that they're talking about. It's a place where these people came in desperate situation. They came asking Jesus to do the impossible and no one went home disappointed. Jesus left that place and it says in verse 21, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Let me show you that on a map as well. The region of Tyre and Sidon is outside of the borders of Israel, that circled area. It's on the Mediterranean coast, about 50 miles northwest of the Sea of Galilee. This is an area that was in the, this was a part of the, the country that was known as Phoenicia. It was outside of Israel. It was considered Gentile country. And today it would be called Lebanon. It's the modern day Lebanon. This is one of the few times that Jesus ventured outside the borders of Israel. Most of his ministry was there within the borders of Israel. But on this occasion, he left that area, Gennesaret. And he went outside of Israel to this area, this Phoenician Gentile territory. And it says in verse 22, a Canaanite woman, look at it, verse 22, a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him. Now it's interesting that we use the, that the, Matthew uses the word Canaanite woman because this is the only place you see it in the New Testament. The word Canaanite is an Old Testament word. It's Old Testament language. The Canaanites were enemies of Israel. And Matthew in his gospel, he describes this woman that came to see Jesus. He says not just that she was a Gentile or not just that she was Phoenician, but Matthew emphasizes she was a Canaanite woman. I believe it was Matthew's way of noting this was one of the enemies of, of Israel's people. Her descendants, at least, were enemies of Israel. It was Matthew's way of noting she was an outsider. Everything about her life, she was an outsider. To the Jews, she would be, have been considered unclean in capital letters. She was unclean for two reasons. One, because she was a Gentile, not a Jew. Unclean for another reason, she was a Canaanite woman. She was one of the enemies of God's people. She would have been considered unclean in capital letters. Now remember that word unclean, it will be important later on. This is the woman who came to Jesus needing a miracle. 
Now I want you to notice how she addressed Jesus. Verse 22, a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. She addressed Jesus as Lord and as son of David, which signifies that this pagan woman had some understanding of Jesus as Messiah. That was a messianic reference that she used. Then she says why she's there. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Moms, I want you to focus for a moment on this. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Imagine if one of your daughters had that problem. Imagine what that would feel like, that your daughter was suffering from demon possession. The Living Bible says, my daughter has a demon within her and it torments her constantly. Moms, what would that do to you to watch your daughter being tormented constantly by demon? New American Standard Bible translates it this way, my daughter is cruelly demon possessed. There's nothing good about this situation at all. It is so cruel to watch what this demon is doing to my daughter. In other words, you can't imagine a greater need than this one. If there was anyone who had a need, it was this lady. And watch this. And if there was anyone who could help her, it was Jesus. Would you agree with that? Now let me give you some biblical evidence to show you that Jesus definitely was the one who could help her. Matthew chapter 8 verse 16. Here's what we read. When evening came, many who were demon possessed. There's that phrase. Many who were demons possessed, were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with the word, and he healed the sick. Many were brought to him at that time in this chapter, and they were demon possessed, and he just spoke, and they had to leave. Another example is Matthew chapter 4. News about him, about Jesus, spread all over Syria, which is in the north of Israel, which would have included the area of Phoenicia, the area where this lady was living. So news about him, about Jesus, spread all over Syria, including where this lady was living. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, there it is, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. So if there's anyone who could help, it's Jesus. So this lady who is desperate for a miracle, but confident he was the one person who could help, she comes to him. And here's what she says. Look at it again. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. And verse 23, notice how Jesus responds. It says, Jesus did not answer a word. He didn't do anything. He didn't say no. He didn't say, let me see what I can do. He didn't say, let me pray about it. He didn't say anything. Has anybody ever given you the silent treatment? You know what that's like, some of you, right? Husbands, you do that to your wives sometimes. Wives sometimes maybe do that to your husbands. After the first service, I had a a man tell me, and he gave me permission to share this, though I'm not going to give his name. He said, he was talking about the silent treatment. He said, I want to tell you something. He said, and he didn't explain how this happened. He said, my wife one time killed my boat. I thought he meant she killed the engine or something. So what are you talking about? He said, she drugged my boat down the interstate upside down. I, I don't understand how, the, I, don't get, I didn't get the details. 
He said, I gave her the silent treatment for four or five days. I didn't say a word to her for four or five days. I said, okay. He said, after it was all over, she mentioned to me, you wouldn't say anything to me. He said, well, I could have, but it wouldn't have been very nice. (laughs) When somebody gives you the silent treatment, it hurts. When somebody gives you the silent treatment, it's hard. But I would say to you today, when Jesus gives you the silent treatment, it's probably awful. You've got to get this picture in your mind. She comes to Jesus desperate. She comes to Jesus needing a miracle. She comes to Jesus on behalf of her demon-possessed daughter. She pours out her heart to him. She begs him. And he doesn't say a word. But notice that her faith would not give up. Look at verse 23. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. And the the tense in the Greek language is she keeps on and on and on and on crying out, crying out, crying out. So the disciples co-heartedly come to Jesus and said, would you just send her away? She's bothering us. Cold-hearted and arrogant. They're not... They have no compassion for her situation. There's no compassion for her daughter in the disciples. The disciples are saying, how about sending her away? She's getting on our nerves. And in verse 24, this agonizing situation got worse, believe it or not. Look at the text. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. It appears that he was not speaking to the woman, but rather he was speaking to the disciples. And it's almost as if he was on their side. He said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Now let me explain this for just a moment. After his death and resurrection, Jesus would later tell his disciples to take the gospel to the whole world. But during his earthly ministry, the Jews were his primary focus. Israel was his primary focus in his earthly ministry. She heard him say that to the disciples. I was sent only to to the lost sheep of Israel. But again, her faith would not give up. Verse 25, the woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me! Exclamation mark. She is begging, she is pleading, she is asking repeatedly, Lord, help me! And verse 26, it gets even worse. He replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and to toss it to their dogs. The point here is that the gospel is to be given to the Jews first, and then God was going to use the Jews to share the gospel with the rest of the world. So in this statement, look at the statement, the children's bread there would refer to the Jews, and the dogs would refer to the Gentiles, because that was the way Jews normally referred to all Gentiles. The Jews saw the Gentiles as being unclean because they were not Jews. They were not God's holy chosen people. And so they referred to those people who were not Jews, Gentiles, they referred to them as filthy or unclean like dogs. It was clearly an insult to call a Gentile a dog. In fact, the Jews would often pray, God, I thank you that I'm not like a dog of the Gentiles. So this is Jesus speaking. To this desperate woman who needs a miracle for her daughter, it is not right to take the children's bread and to toss it To their dogs. Now this is where most of us, if we're honest, we would say this lady would be justified if she walked away. This lady would be justified if she threw up her hands. 
This lady would be justified if she got bitter towards God. This lady would be justified if she got angry and walked away. But even then, her faith would not give up. You see, this is a desperate mom. She doesn't have time to be offended by humiliating label. And so she says in verse, 30, verse 27, Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Translation, you've got more than enough power. I just need a little bit of the crumbs. You've got more than enough power and grace to go around. I just need mine now. Even dogs get to eat off the scraps from the table. And finally, Jesus gives her an answer that sounds more like Jesus. Verse 28, Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Some have suggested that there was a twinkle in his eye, or perhaps there was something about the tone in his voice, but there was something that encouraged this woman to keep on believing and to keep on asking. Woman, you have great faith. The Living Bible says, Woman, you have large faith. I believe that's why this story is in our Bibles. It's, what, it's an example of what great faith looks like when you have a great need and you need a great miracle. It's an example of what great faith looks like when you need a great miracle. So I'm going to give you two lessons based on this story today. Two practical life lessons, key lessons that you and I can learn from this unusual story. The first one is this. If you need a miracle, don't stop believing or asking for it. Think of all the hurdles that her faith had to overcome. First of all, Jesus was silent, stone cold silent. That would have been enough for a lot of us to give up. Second hurdle was the disciples tried to convince Jesus to send her away. That would have been enough for us to get angry and to give up and walk away. The third challenge was she heard Jesus say, I was sent only to the people of Israel. That would have been plenty for us, strike three, to walk away. Then he looked her in the eye and he said, the fourth challenge was this, it's not right to take the children's bread and to give it to their dogs. That would have been enough to make any of us angry and to give up and to walk away. She had four opportunities to give up. Four opportunities to walk away. But listen to me, great faith Great faith keeps believing and keeps asking even when it would be easy to stop. Some of you are facing situations right now where there is no answer in sight, at least not a good answer. You're facing a situation and you need God to do the impossible. And I want to say to you as your pastor, sometimes life can be messy and quite honestly, sometimes God can be mysterious. And maybe you're like this woman, there's a lot of challenges that are testing your faith right now. It seems like it's just one after another, after another, after another. These challenges that keep testing your faith. You keep believing, you keep asking, but there's another challenge, and another challenge, and another challenge that keeps testing your faith. Someone said, an essential part of life is learning to live the questions that faith produces. Sometimes we just have to live the questions. Wait on the Lord. 
pray in our pain, accept confusion, and deal with the silence. Sometimes we literally have to just live the questions as we try to walk in faith. It's what one author called the tension of faith. See, on one side, the Bible tells us, I can do all things through Christ who who strengthens me. Or or it says, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. On one side, we, we have that promise from the Word of God. On the other side, we have this messy, mysterious, challenging, heartbreaking problem. And in between those two is the tension of faith. And we keep asking and we keep waiting for our miracle. The nature of faith is that we choose to trust God even when it would be easy not to. It's exactly what this lady was doing. She chose to trust Jesus. She chose to keep asking. She chose to keep begging. She chose to keep believing. She chose to keep trusting because she was desperate and she needed a miracle. And Jesus looked at her, I believe, with a smile on His face and said, Woman, you have great faith. Too often, if we're not careful, the size of our problem will determine the size of our faith. It will shrink our faith. If we're not careful, the the size of the problem will take our faith and shrink it. Here, Jesus said, just the opposite has happened. You have great faith. If you need a miracle, don't stop believing. Don't stop asking. Here's a second lesson from this story, and it's this. If you need a miracle, you can come to God with confidence. I love this part of the story. This was one of the few times, as I told you a moment ago, when Jesus left the borders of Israel. One of the few times in His earthly ministry where He went to somewhere other than the cities of of Israel. So it brings up the question, why? Why did He go there? He was in Gennesaret. He was on the coast of the Sea of Galilee. It was a beautiful area. Why did he leave there and go north to Tyre and Sidon? Well, this text has a very important context. You see, we started in verse 21. I'm not a mathematician, but that means there's 20 verses before verse 21, right? What was it that happened in those 20 verses before Verse 21. Well, that's very interesting. In that section of Scripture, in fact, in my Bible, the the heading over chapter 15 says, clean and unclean. In the first 20 verses, Jesus is dealing with the concept of what is clean and what is unclean. And the reason for that is, in verses 1 through 11, Jesus gets into a clash with the Pharisees about clean and unclean food. Pharisees are taking him to task and his disciples to task about the way they were conducting themselves and they get into this debate, if you will, about clean and unclean food. That's verses 1 through 11. Then in verses 12 through 20, the disciples are still confused about what they heard in verses 1 through 11. They're still trying to figure out what makes a person clean and unclean. So in verses 12 through 20, they're confused about what is it that makes you clean or what is it that makes you unclean. And so here's what I think happened beginning in verse 21. Jesus moved the classroom to Gentile territory. This was a Canaanite woman. She was the very people that the Pharisees would call unclean. And I think 
that here's probably what was happening. He left Gennesaret and he went to Tyre and Sidon, the, the Phoenician area. He went to this area where every Jew would have considered this lady unclean. In capital letters. He took the classroom outside. Here's what I think he was doing with the first three comments to her. I think it was likely that Jesus was assuming the role of the Pharisees and the Jews. He was showing how cold-hearted their traditions were. Perhaps he was trying to show the disciples how cruel and how vicious the Jews had been in their concept of, of who and what was clean and unclean. And so, for the first three times, here's what he did. The first time he talked to this desperate lady, he didn't say a word to her. That's exactly what the Jews would have done. They would have considered her unclean and they, didn't, they would not have spoken to her. Then the second time, Jesus said, I've only come for the people of Israel. That's exactly what the Jews would have done. They would have said, we are the people of God. You are the unclean Gentiles. Then the third time, Jesus said, it would not be right to take the children's bread for Israel and give it to the dogs, the Gentiles. The Jews would have said amen to that because it would not be right to give the Gentiles anything. Think of those first three responses to that lady. He was parroting what the, disciples, what the Pharisees would have said, what the Jews would have said. He was showing them how cold-hearted it was to live by the traditions of men and consider people clean and unclean. So in verse 28, he finally responds to her in this way. Woman, you have great faith. And I believe that would have stunned the disciples that were there. Because this was not a woman who was from Israel. This was a Gentile woman. This was a woman who was a Canaanite. Her descendants were the enemies of Israel. And Jesus looks at her and says, you have great faith. You see, Jesus took His disciples to a place outside of Israel to teach them and to teach us that no one is outside the grace of God. There are no borders, there are no boundaries to the love and grace of God. And if you're still trying to find a reason that maybe God should love you, if you're still trying to figure out why God should love you, why God should do a miracle in your life, here it is in this story. This is a story to show us that God's grace is for all people. God's goodness is for all people. God's love is for all people. Nobody lives outside the borders of God's grace and nobody lives outside the boundaries of God's goodness. You see, some of you are desperate for a miracle right now. And I just got to tell you as your pastor, I can't promise you how it's all going to turn out. You're desperate, but I, I, I'm asking you to do two things. First of all, I'm asking you to keep on praying, keep on trusting, keep on asking. And number two, I'm asking you this, approach God with confidence. Persistently asking His help, knowing that He is good and that He cares deeply for you. So just approach God with confidence. If you need a miracle, approach Him with confidence. I can't promise how it's going to turn out, but I can promise you, you can approach Him knowing that He's good. You can approach Him with confidence knowing that He cares. I want you to know that Jesus wasn't just playing games with this woman. He engaged her in a conversation beautifully in such a way to engage her faith and to engage her heart. And if you need a miracle today, you need to know that we're not approaching a God who's disengaged. We're not approaching a God who doesn't care. We are approaching God who loves us more than we could possibly ever imagine. 
We're approaching a God who demonstrated His love for us in a way that no one else ever has. You see, God is still in the business of doing miracles. And the greatest miracle of all is that He can forgive you of every sin you've ever committed and He can change your life here on earth and He can offer you an eternal home in heaven. That is the greatest miracle of all. And by the way, that is a miracle every person needs. And though we are all like this woman living outside the boundaries of God's people, we, we, we all were born into sin. We, none of us are excluded. Everyone has the opportunity to, to experience God's miracle in this way. Here's why I know that. Look what the Bible says. And, and by the way, Christians, if you already know a lot of this, but would you pray for those that may be here or those listening online? And they don't know this. But here's why every person here today, every person watching online, here's why we all need a miracle, the greatest miracle of all. And it's because of this. There is no one righteous, not even one. There's nobody here today, including the one speaking. There's nobody watching online, not even one who does not need this greatest miracle of all. Every person needs this miracle. And here's why. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That word all is a small word, but it includes every person in the world. It includes everyone here, everyone watching online. We all have the same problem. It's a sin problem. And so we read this verse, the next one. For God demonstrated His own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. Not just a story. Died for us. Why would he do that? And, and this is why. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The gift that God wants to give every person is, is, the, is that miraculous gift of forgiveness, that miraculous gift of changing your life, that miraculous gift of offering you a different life now and an eternal home in heaven. And it is a gift that God wants to give you. This dear lady who came to Jesus needing a miracle, God gave her what she needed, but she did nothing to earn it. She lived outside the borders of Israel. She, she was considered an enemy of God's people. She did absolutely nothing to earn it. But her faith is what made the difference. Jesus said, woman, you've got great faith. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And the, the way that you obtain that gift is through your faith. Believing that God wants to give you that gift. In fact, Romans 10 says it this way. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe, there's the word of faith. Believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. You will be saved. That's God's promise to you. To every one of you and those watching online. If you express your faith and say, Jesus is Lord. He's going to be Lord of my life from this day forward. I believe He died on the cross in my place. And, and I'm putting my faith in Him. The Bible gives us this promise. You will be saved if you express your faith in Christ. See, when Jesus died on the cross, He died in your place for your sins so that you could experience God's grace, so that you could experience the greatest miracle of all. So the question is this one. Are you willing to ask God to do that miracle in your life? Right here. Right now. Would you pray with me, every head bowed, every eye closed? <clears throat> I know a lot of you here today and those watching online, perhaps you already have that relationship with the Lord, but would you pray for those that don't? 
We need the awareness that there are some for whom this is new information. Or maybe it's, they've heard it before, but now the Holy Spirit is speaking into their life in such a clear way. Now they recognize they've never really had that time where they declare, Jesus is Lord. He's Lord of my life. So if you would like to place your faith in Christ right now, whether you're watching online or sitting here in the sanctuary, you can do that with me. Expressing your faith with words something like this, Dear Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. I confess that I have sinned against you. And I turn away from my sin. I repent and I'm trusting that you died on the cross for my sin in my place. I'm declaring my faith in you. And I'm asking you to do a miracle in my life. Come into my heart and make me a different person. Change me for your glory. Save me. Forgive me. Thank you for the gift that you've given me right here, right now, in the name of Jesus. And with every head still bowed, if you've prayed that, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to go to the next step table. It's right out front. You can't miss it. It's right out front. Go to the next step table. Just let us know that you've prayed to receive Christ. And we want to give you some information that will help you start your journey with the Lord. Or if you're watching online, if you'll just email us, MountAirBaptist.com, just email us. We'll send you that information in the mail, wherever you may be watching. But also know that today, in addition to those who need the greatest miracle of all, some of you have come in with a heavy heart because there's another miracle in your life, another miracle in your family, and, and you're still in that tension of faith. Would you today, as you're sitting there, just once again declare God, I'm still trusting in you. I'm still going to ask. I'm still going to believe. I'm still going to trust. I'm coming to you with confidence. So I'm going to keep on asking. I'm going to keep on trusting. And I'm coming to you with confidence that you care about me in ways I could never imagine. So I'm going to keep on asking God. And I'm going to keep on trusting. I'm going to do like this woman. And I'm going to keep on knocking. I'm going to keep on asking and seeking. And I ask you, do the impossible in my life. Once again, wherever you are, right where you are, you can pray that prayer to the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for meeting with us and speaking to us in a powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen.